Hello and welcome to Always Take Notes. In this episode, Cassia and myself spoke to the excellent Charmaine Lovegrove, who is about to take up a very exciting new job as publisher of a new imprint called Dialogue Books at Little Brown that's dedicated to inclusivity and diversity. And before this, Charmaine had done a staggering range of jobs within the the sort of book world. Uh, She's been literary editor at Elle, she's run her own bookshop in Berlin, and she's worked as a scout for film and TV. Yeah, she was completely fascinating. And as well as um, charting the course of her own career and really taking us through that, it's been very varied, as Simon said. We also spoke to her more about the issues relating to diversity in um, the publishing industry and, and how she's experienced that and, and the cliqueiness as well of the British publishing industry. We also spoke to her more about her hopes and aims and, and her vision, really, for dialogue books. And because we always take notes, we also try to um, dig a little deeper into the nitty gritty issues of scale and budget as well. So a lot in here that is really important as well as entertaining, and we hope you yeah, enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed speaking to her. Yes, yeah, so Charmaine, perhaps you could tell us a bit first about your uh, your route into the industry, um, and particularly how your your time in Germany kind of played played with getting you to where you are today. Sure. Essentially, I wanted to. I knew I wanted to work with books since I was eight years old, and I remember I'm from Battersea, and on Northcote Road we had this bookshop called Brolling Book Bookshop. And I went there and the bookseller sold me Boy by Roald Dahl and it was in a brown paper bag. And I was literally like, if I could make people this happy, my world would be made. And um, I obviously didn't go to the doctors or have anything legal when I was that young because, you know, I was like being a bookseller is king. Um, (laughs) And so it just never occurred to me that I would do anything else. And then when I was um, 16 or when you get your national insurance card, um, so 15 and three quarters and I started working at Ottakers on in Clapham Junction and um, and then I just I then I worked I lived on a boat on water under the Waterloo Bridge and I worked under the second-hand bookstalls on Waterloo Bridge I'd also so during the week I actually worked as a runner for television and film production companies in Soho and then at the weekends I would work that's how I paid rent I um, between sort of 16 and 19 that I worked um, for bookshops. I worked at Foils, I worked at, and then I started working at the London Review Bookshop when I was 23. And I always thought I was gonna make documentary films um, because I didn't think being a bookseller was particularly lucrative or that like, I mean, not, you know, it was really interesting, but I just didn't think it was like a career, which it, you know, is still questionable whether or not with the living wage, whether or not it could be. So I thought I should make documentary films so I was really interested in people. So I went to UCL as a mature student and I studied politics and anthropology. And then I started working at the London Review Bookshop and partly also working um, with the different teams in the magazine, um, thinking about different ways. That was a really great moment because Samir just walked in as I was saying about working at the LRB and what that time was like which was incredible and meeting people like him um, when we were in our 20s and then whilst I was at the bookshop I um, so whilst at the bookshop I started a master's at Birkbeck in international political economy so I just I, I didn't have anyone that was 
interested in the things that I was really interested in. So though I didn't know what the model was. And because I'd left home when I was 16, I just didn't really have, I didn't really have parents. So I didn't really know that there was like this direct route. So I started learning that what other people were doing in the industry. And I realized that I was going for jobs in publicity and I wasn't getting them. And then people would come to the bookshop sort of months later, having got that job. And they'd say, oh, I went to Cambridge and I've never worked in a bookshop. And I'm like, yo, why am I not getting these jobs? Because I've worked in loads of bookshops and I've done loads of stuff. And why am I not getting these jobs? And so it became quite clear that I wasn't necessarily supposed to work in house for lots of different reasons, which were unbeknown to me and also unbeknown to the industry. I think that's what's really important, that the industry is, the, the British publishing industry is, it's where it's defective is that it is unconsciously biased. And I wouldn't say that it's racist, but I would say it's unconsciously biased, that they didn't understand that someone who hadn't studied politics, who had studied politics and anthropology, who hadn't studied English literature could work in these roles and they just kind of didn't know what to do with all of this energy um so then i moved so then i wanted to open a bookshop in hackney in london fields um but it was by this time it's like 2001 um it was a bit later no it was 2007 it was 2007 i wanted to open a bookshop in london fields i've been living there for a long time i could the Cat and Mutton had become a gastropub. I was like, I'm from Battersea. I know how this gentrification work thing works. I want a bookshop here. Went to the bank. They said no. Um, and then I was like, where has the net book agreement, which is the, uh, so all books used to be the same price until 15 years ago. And um, so where had the net book agreement? I spent summer going all around Europe spending like 15 pounds on flights to Italy, Spain, Greece, went to Berlin and basically Germany still had the book price windung. So I was like, this is my city. It's very open. It's very kind of, it's just an amazing city. I could live here um, and I could open a bookshop here because they, they know the value of a book. So then I went there with 5,000 pounds and 5,000 pounds was supposed to be 10,000 euros, but the day that I moved there, the, um, the pound dropped. <laughs> so 5,000 pounds was, yeah, was supposed to translate into something that was quite healthy. Um, so I, ha I was living, I was supposed to move in, I met this guy basically, and I was supposed to like, a couple of months before and I suppose to kind of he sort of accelerated my move and then I had to move straight in with him and then we got married and now we're married and have a child so it was good it worked I mean it worked but but basically I <laughs> well you know the thing is is that without him I wouldn't have done the bookshop really because he's flew he so he's a military historian my husband Thomas he's a military historian he he just he just helped me with German and spoke to me for three hours every day. And so you're in a new relationship in a new city where there's no black people and no jerk chicken. And you're like, now you're speaking to me in German three hours a day. Like, this is just nuts. Like, I can't, I don't know. But it just meant that it just cemented everything. And then he helped me like with all the forms and he would teach me, he taught me German. So then I became pretty fluent pretty quickly. And then we had, <laughs> We had, I mean, I just didn't have very much money, but I basically convinced all of the publishers and Bertrams, um, who are a distributor and the biggest distributor in this country, I convinced them that they should give me 
£45,000 worth of stock for £1,250. And that <laughs> what I was going to do is that I was going to... What I was going to do is that I was going to just... I was just going to sail a return. And that, we, you know, every time I sold a book, I would just pay them at the end of the month. And I was basically... They were like, nobody has ever done this. And I was like, but nobody has ever... Nobody knows book selling in the way that I do. And if you don't let me do this, it's like just shame on you. You know, like the bookshops are closing all over the country. We Amazon have, you have to try something different and you have to be really innovative and you have to trust me that I'm going to be able to do it. Um, so they did and it was kind of crazy. So we we're in a tea room in the back of a bookshop and um, the back of a oh, first bookshop was in the back um, of a tea room in in um, Berlin. In, in which neighbourhood? In It was in um, Prenzlauerberg in a street called Christinenstrasse and yeah, it was called the Tea Room and we had events downstairs and it was just, I mean, it was like absolutely incredible. Like it was just a dream and that I was like suddenly, suddenly owning my own bookshop and calling it something really random like dialogue books and everyone and my surname then was Reed so everyone was like you should call it Reed Books and I was like <laughs> no like this is no this is all about like starting a dialogue and having a conversation and the conversation about international books and English English books and well, that's a, a very uh, neat segue for me. I, I'm, I'm really fascinated, firstly, by um, you talking about s selling the sort of physical objects of the books and then also about your, your love of, of, well, your, your work running, uh, doing, being a runner for, for films and TV. So I really want to talk to you about um, your scouting role once yeah. you came back to London. And just if you could explain exactly what scouting is. So we moved the bookshop to another area um, and um, it just became a hub and it became bigger and it was just really exciting. And then I met this woman called Anna Winger, who is, um, she went on to make Deutschland 83 and her husband was looking for an English speaking woman who knew about books. So we met and Anna is like within a minute, she's like your best friend. And she was like, oh my God, you should totally work with my husband. And it was like, great. So I met him and we because I'd already worked in development then although they didn't know that like I was like oh by the way I've actually worked in development but they were just like you'd be great at coming up with stories but then I just felt like it took too long because there were lots of West Germans and East Germans and they still have a conflict so I was like this takes a long time why don't we do this from the books in my bookshop like why don't we literally take the stories because rather than arguing about the authenticity of a character what we could actually do is just use a book and they were like that's a great idea and I was like if we look in the back of a book or if we look in you know I can work out who has the rights to the book um so let's just do that so I didn't actually know what scouting was like I didn't know it was a job and I was I was 20 I was 29 no it was 29 I was 28 at this point and I didn't really know I hadn't really met any scouts in London because in bookshops you don't really meet scouts and as a publicist you don't really meet scouts so I didn't know what it was I just I just was like this is great London Fremantle so they're owned by a company called Fremantle which is one of the biggest production companies which is actually owned by Bertelsmann which owns Penguin Random House and BMG so it's a massive conglomerate company 
I then went to London and said, do you want me to do this for you? Because this sounds really like, this is just a great job. So then I scouted for 28 territories from Berlin, but I didn't tell them that it was harder in Berlin to do it. I just was like, I just need a bit more money because I need to fly more places. And they were like, fine. (laughs) And so I started coming up with these trend reports and different, like I just started coming up with stuff and they were just like, this is great. And we started optioning books in all of these different territories. And then I was able to build a team. So I had that and a bookshop. And then anyone in Berlin that wanted to come and do anything with, in Germany that wanted to do anything in English language publishing, I was like, well, I understand what a magazine is because I started a magazine. So if you want to do a magazine, let's do that. So it just kind of snowballed really quickly. Can you sort of um, dig down a little bit into the actual sort of process of, of scouting and what and, and how you, I mean, obviously you can, you can spot a book that you enjoy, but what is it exactly that you were doing were you um molding the story or were you just sort of sorting out the rights or so i was so i would so the process is i go and meet a pro- i go and meet with the production companies that i work for i they tell me what stories they would like to tell um they tell me what um actors directors the talent that they've met and who are going to tell those stories and then i drill down into our vast tracking list and I think a backlist and I'm just like this Mm. or I read this and so it's very similar to being a bookseller like when you're a bookseller you walk into a bookshop and someone says oh I heard this on Radio 4 and it was about India and you're like no it was actually (laughs) about China and it's got a green cover you know it's like it's like that but it's just for different people so it's the same kind of skills and I just love that like you know also being a black woman it's like people are always very in the industry are very much like how do you know and so being a bookseller or a scout just means that I'm just like, you can't mess with this knowledge. Mm. Like you cannot. So it's been really great. Mm. So they say, I'm looking for this. And I think about character and plot. And I think about whether or not that book can translate. Have you got any examples that you can tell us of, of books that, or projects that kind of came to fruition or, or that you were really sort of particularly proud of? I'm really proud of a book called The Loney, mm-hmm. um, which is by um, Andrew Hurley. So I read it really early um, because your publisher, John Murray, I'm really good friends with Mark Richards and he gave me a copy super early. I bumped into him, he was going to Jerusalem, I was going to Berlin. We just had a chat and I was like, that sounds amazing. When, you, when you're ready, give it to me. I bumped into him a few weeks later on the tube and he was like, I've got a proof, here you go. I read it, I was like this, I know exactly who, who needs to make this. Mm. And I, so I worked for a company called DNA Films. They, make, they made Ex Machina, The Beach, um, Last King of Scotland. You know, I just knew Leah Clark, the, one of the producers there. I just was like, this is, this is so Leah. Leah read it, loved it. Um, there was a 15-way auction. But because I'd had so much time, then we basically worked on... Mm sort of three drafts together of like what what the pitch would look like so the agent of this book really doesn't like scouts and in particular doesn't like me so she would do she wanted to do anything she could to make sure that like I none of my companies ever get anything that she's selling but because we do our work really well Mm. And because we know the story, we know the book, and the attachment is amazing, got film four involved like super early. So then I'm like, listen, this package is hot mm. and we're gonna just offer it. And she couldn't. So then Mark and Lucy, the, the agent, like it all just worked really neatly. And there was the, the literary agent, not the film and television agent, the literary agent, they, it just worked really neatly. 
and I and then it won like British Book of the Year last year. It just won loads of awards. It was like in the bestseller list, and I'm just like, yo, <laughs> yo, man, like you know, we get it. And also, whenever we meet other companies to talk to them about working for them, they're like, what? They're, they're always asking this mm. question, and they're like, so what book are you like most proud of? And I'm like, the Lonely, and they're like, we really went in for that, and I'm like, yeah, everyone went in for it because it's an amazing gothic British government. Don't feel bad. Uh, don't feel bad, and we'll do it for you as well. Um, one thing that from what you're um, telling me that really comes out is the fact that you've been involved in lots of um, kind of quite innovative and entrepreneurial projects. How easy have you found that within the sort of the publishing industry to be entrepreneurial? I just think it was out of necessity. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't choose to be, I'd never worked for myself. It was just out of necessity. It was just like I said, I'd go for jobs and people would just be like, huh? And and they like we get on so well with you're so great and you've got so much energy, Charmaine, and you know your passion is just incredible. And then you're like, yo, just give me the job, and they're like, but there's this other person who has like zero experience, and we're just going to give it to them because they want to, you know, they just wanted something different, and it mm. was just it just was ridiculous. So I just didn't have it. I didn't feel like I had a choice. Mm. Um, and now I I wouldn't change that. I literally would not have done it in any way um, differently because because it's been it's just been amazing Const- I mean doing things that nobody else has done with books and thinking about thinking about storytelling from a completely different perspective and you know just being championed by so many amazing people like every step of the way you know I wouldn't I wouldn't have changed it and could you tell us a bit about your your role with Elle how that came about and what what that's involved yeah, so L came about because they invited me to an innovators dinner and um, there were sort of 15 people around the table in a um, in this like, really fancy restaurant in Mayfair called Mayfair 24 or something and they have this room called the, the um, Emin room and you've got all these Tracy Emin pictures. It's like a really beautiful place. Um, and it was just such an opulent evening and... But it was also really awkward because they wanted to they wanted to talk about the next issue and they wanted to talk about what they were doing, what L was. And I was they wanted to talk they wanted to talk about lemonade because lemonade had just come out. And I was just like, I actually don't want to talk to you about Beyonce because I just feel very uncomfortable like this gaze in this room of like lots of white people talking about whether or not Beyonce is woke. I just I was like, can we just not do that? So I just was me and just said this and this and then they said do you read Al and I said no because you say slay but then you say let's read Santa Seabag Montefiore and it just doesn't that doesn't make sense to me like if you have chiclet and then you say empowered women so then they basically were like do you want to do that (laughs) (laughs) and I was like yeah I mean it makes sense because as a scout I'm reading two years before something's published and as a and as a literary editor, I'm reading. Well, I don't. I don't actually read for L. I just know. I just have again, like a, my assistant. You know, we keep a very complex list of tracking. Tracking. I'm not going to miss all of that. Um, but we keep a very complex list. So when they say, okay, it's this issue. Like now we're working on September. So then I just go in and I'm like, what did I read a year and a half ago that would work for September? And then I'll look at it. 
but I don't actually I don't I can't look at proofs three months before because it it I can't stop my flow of reading because it's really important so were you writing reviews or was it kind of more roundups yeah, or I'm writing reviews it's writing roundups um I'm just writing about like I just like there's right I sort of write a lot of trend stuff because I'm writing about trends all the time anyway so then I'm like short stories for example right now I just love a lot of the short story collections that are coming out and short stories don't often get championed so tomorrow I'll my last um online piece for them will be about um slim reads for your suitcase (laughs) (laughs) so I I'll um I you know and they're just like what do you want to do and I'm like actually there's some really great collections so why don't I do that and then I'll kind of make it elified which is fun which is fun right um, and with the, with your next move, with Dialogue Books coming up um, next month, how did that come about? And could you tell us a bit about you know, what what it's going to mean? So, I was with a good friend of mine, Julia Kingsford, who's a great, who's an agent and a great champion for diversity in the industry, and. Um, Uh, we were at this dinner called the Book Society Dinner and it's like being at Formal Hall because you kind of have to stand up and then they say this is Charmaine Lovegrove from Dialogue Scouting and everyone claps and you're like and then you're um, invited by Julia Kingsford from Kingsford Campbell and it's very formal and very very publishing and so I was invited and I was like yeah it's really funny that there's always this issue about women in the industry when it's half men half women and I'm the only person of colour and I met Charlie King, who is the MD of Little Brown, and he's really, really amazing person. And I know he's really open and he's young and, you know, just totally up for change and a challenge. And so I took him, Julia and Philip from the bookseller to my private members club in Mayfair. And then Philip brought out the issue of the bookseller and it was a diversity issue and they said it said in it less than 100 books were published by non-white people in a year and I was like do you know how many books I've read like do you understand how many books I've published like this is outrageous like what are you doing we are as black people like from storytelling communities and now it's just like a really this is just so outrageous to me that you know I feel it and I know it from what I'm reading, but I don't really, I don't really, I don't have the whole industry stats, but I can kind of feel, I, I know it, you know, but it, to see it on the page was just like startling. So they were like, what do you think we should do? And I was just like, well, you have Virago, which is the women's imprint that was set up in the 50s. And, you know, you need to have a diversity imprint. You need to stop talking about it and do something. And you need to have more seniority from people of colour. And they were like, well, who's going to run it? And I was like, yeah, I know. Like, who is going to run that? Like, that's <laughs> it's like a really good question. No, but I, it wasn't, you know, like, people that know me know that I'm not, like, if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. But I'm not like... I'm not like, oh, maybe I should do... Like, I'm not like that. I'm just like, yeah, sure, let's just go. Let's go. So they were like, you should do it. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. So I met with Charlie a couple of times. Um, I met with Charlie a couple of times and then other publishers got a whisper that something was happening and started approaching me. And then, so then I was talking to, um, let's say, four out of the five big publishers. And then I got to make a bit of a choice and it was clear to me that it was always going to be Little Brown and Virago and Charlie and Hachette. And what 
what is the real kind of aim of the imprint? What are you hoping to, to do with it? So, you know, I'm obsessed with this word dialogue and because I think that's what books, good books do, is that they spark a dialogue. And with dialogue books, it's a conversation on diversity and inclusivity. And so we will be publishing BAME, LGBTQI+. Um, we'll also be publishing um, dis- stories on and about by dis- disabled people and um, also looking at class. So it's really looking at stories where it's where we're missing, you know, voices that we're missing from our society. Like we don't have any books by black men, for example, right now, like young black men who in our society, we don't have many books about class. And, you know, there's a book that's coming out about the north of England um, and the, the idea of home, but it doesn't have anyone of colour or London. And I'm like, but my, our experience of the world is is also, and our Britain is also valid and it should be collective. And it's just about adding that different, completely different voice because I just see things differently. So all the books that will be on my list will be about an engagement of, an engagement of people who are othered and marginalized but not necessarily themselves you know because it's because it's a term that's kind of given to us but it's about inclusivity and including those people into the conversation into the dialogue and what is the the scale of the project do you have an idea of you know how many books you'll be looking at a year or are there any sort of sort of concrete figures of, of what the imprint will look like when it's up and running yeah so i'm really lucky that i don't have any uh like you know, the, it doesn't work that I'm kind of given a budget. I mean, I'd love it if they were like, so here's two million pounds and you've got to do something with mm. because then I'd really feel like I was properly running my own mm. company, which I'm used to doing. But um, how it actually works is that every time there's a book that I want and that I feel very passionate about, I I then have to go through a process of acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, which is really interesting in itself. And so the first year I'll be publishing four to six books and then six to 12, and then we'll win like the Pulitzer Booker, you know, <laughs> prizes because, because we'll just have really original voices that no one's heard. So we'll be doing, we'll always be doing something differently and they'll always be groundbreaking and they'll always be quality writing, which has always been the question as if someone of color couldn't write. I mean, you know, it's like where there's a question, it's like, I don't have that question. And also what's really important about the imprint is that what's really important to me about this imprint is the fact that we're, um, it's about audiences and it's about readers and it's also about engaging readers. Like that, that's, if you think about everything that I've done, it's always around storytelling to the end. And I believe in an industry that starts with the author and ends with the reader. And anything that doesn't consider that, which is quite a lot of people, I've just got like zero time for because that's what we do. And in every aspect of our industry, that's what we do. And we're there to like engage, empower, and like for people, because that's how you create empathy by through reading and I feel like so strong if I feel strong about anything it's like the power of what the book should be able to do and so every single book I'll publish will will have that definitely so you've you've talked a little bit about this and this has come through and and been a, a theme throughout what you've talked about but um why has the industry has had a had a problem is it are there are there systemic issues and are those um, issues different for, for authors writing um, non-fiction or, or fiction? 
I just think like if you if you've not been exposed to if you've not been exposed to lots of different to lots of different elements in your life, then you just do what you feel comfortable with. And like publishing is super cozy. It's just super cozy and it's an amazing job. So so you know there was a diversity panel recently and editors, like editors will say things like, um, you know, they had to submit questions um, anonymously and they'll say things like, but how do we speak to people of colour? And you're literally like, you know, and there's a really big problem in London, I think, where lots of people are really interested in living in London because they're around lots of different people. But I'm always like, when was the last time you had a person of colour or difference, or LGBTQI+, or disabled, or was a different class to you at your house for dinner. And I really started thinking about this as I, as I started going to my friends' weddings. And I'm like, oh, you know, oh, okay, right, okay. You know, like, I started realizing this, and I'm like, if you don't have people that are different around the table in your home, then you're not going to be, you're not really listening to those people. So you're not really going to be like, we also need those people at work. And you might want to live around them, and it's fun to live in Hackney and great to live until you move to the home counties, but it's not, I, you know, and I'm being really serious because we've got into like a really, this is, I've been watching this my entire career for, you know, since, since, since I for 20 years and I'm like I just see it and the, the excuses that people give doesn't match up to how they live and I'm like until you rectify how you live and then you can't change how you work you just can't do it it's not it's just it's absolutely impossible and so so I feel like the industry itself hasn't is just comfortable and cozy and it's not very open and so therefore the books we publish are comfortable and cozy so the books they publish are comfortable and cosy and not very open, you know, because I'm not a publisher yet, but I have been on the other side and watched these books come through my bookshop, watch these books come through as a scout, watch these books come as a literary editor. So, you know, I'm just like, I'm there not to be disruptive, but to just, to be just bolder, but also not because it's so natural for me. Like it's not, it's not a question to me, people of color. Or LGBT is uh, given this sort of history and tradition of coziness. Um, is there a risk that now that there is a specific imprint, it'll be like, oh well, job done? Is there a risk of of of, of those kind of books being siloed into a different category when they shouldn't be? No, no, because because now because because now I mean it's it's their own moral imperative. It's their own moral imperative. And as soon as they understand that, basically, I just need to make sure that, that my the books that I choose sell and that um, as soon as there's a commercial imperative, then people, you know, it's a big trend. And the, the issue that we have as an in industry, so where it's really different in film and television is that if someone's made a film or someone's made a television series, then nobody wants to make anything similar. So it's really original. Like film and television is really, really original, whereas books aren't. So once someone has made a gong girl, it's copycat publishing. Everybody wants mm -hmm. to make that. And then you have really great books like yours that can, can exist in its own place because your publisher has made 
money and so therefore they're willing to do something really interesting and something that actually looks at the world from a different perspective but they but they can only do that if they balance the books so you know once they see that there is a more commercial imperative and once they understand that there's audiences and you know that we're not so scary then it's gonna you know it's going to change and already I'm seeing lots of books coming through that are by people of color but that aren't necessarily right for me in my list you know it's also it's it's also it's also taste as well so to to wrap up we've got a number of questions that uh, people have contributed online on, on social media and um, the first one is is from Julia Kingsford in fact, <laughs> hi, Julia. Uh, who said <laughs> hi Julia who said uh, if there were one book published across all time that you could have published what would it be and why and this ties in with another question that we had uh, from Louisa Salma who said who are your all-time favorite authors one book one book Julia <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain who Julia is again? So Julia is um, a, um, she actually started World Book Night, um, where she used to work at Foils, and then she founded World Book Night, and she's an amazing marketing whiz who became an agent. She's Nikesh Shukla's agent, um, and a lot of uh, people from The Good Immigrant, and she's just an amazing woman who really does go beyond to champion diversity in our industry, um, and a very good friend. So my one book <laughs> um, can I say what I like and then no I... you have to answer the question oh god <laughs> of all time all time oh one my book. god the, okay I keep I kind of maybe that's like circling in my head is 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 probably Maya Angelou's is Still I Rise like I yeah I would have loved to have published that and you know that was my inspiration for dialogue books and for you know virago so i'll go with that that's a really difficult question and, and opening it up a little bit with the second part of that who are your all-time favorite authors my favorite authors are james baldwin um john berger i mean the shape of a pocket i mean you must have read that I haven't actually. No. no, really. Yeah, on my list now. <laughs> you must read. You must read that. Mm. You know, I think you. I'm surprised you haven't read it for your book because it's really incredible and there's some amazing. It's about art and culture and there's some um, and there's there's a seat there's a an excerpt where he talks about paint and it's just one of the most like I could, just one of the most stunning sentences paragraphs that I've ever read um I love his work so much um Tahar Benjaloum um his book his book um blindness no not sorry let me just think of the title of his book um this blinding absence of light um it's about some a group of men who are who are imprisoned in us in in Morocco there's a small gap of light and each of them has a skill and whilst they're imprisoned they have to so one can tell the time one's really good at storytelling amazing so Tara Angelou um um Maya Angelou oh my god this is so difficult Roald Dahl definitely I love Judy Bloom. I mean I just like it's so there's so many people okay, I mean we'll, I've been we'll, influenced we'll put you out of your misery thanks <laughs> um, <laughs> 
final <laughs> online question from me, uh, from someone posting under the, the moniker, hey, is that me, is what advice would you give someone looking to self-publish? Is it ever worth holding out for a deal? Good question. Um, so whilst I was in Berlin, I did a comment at a publish a self-publishing company called ePubli, and which is part of Holtzbrink, which is what Millen's owned by. Because all publishers are owned by Germany in the end. Um, and uh, apart from Hachette, French. Um, I think I think you've got to be really sure if you're going to self-publish because once you've self-published, you haven't sold your book, you can't come back in because you can't then tell us that your book, you know, that it, it that your book was really great, but people didn't get it, and um, that's the, the trap that people that self-publishing fall into is that they're like nobody understood me and. And it's so hard and it's so heartbreaking because, you know, sometimes it, it could be good, but it's a very hard thing to reach audiences. It's really hard to reach readers and to not really understand, you know, the industry. If you're being rejected, then it might be because that's not the right book. But it, And so you've got to be really sure because, yeah, if you go back, I mean, you can't go back. It's very, it's really hard to go back if you have, if you've sold like ten copies to your friends or a hundred copies. I mean, you've got to do phenomenally well to go in. Um, and I say that I would say that that's the biggest risk is that once you do it. Whereas if you don't do it, you can always try lots of agents and lots of ways in the traditional industry. I've got three more questions okay. from, from Twitter. Um, two more serious ones and then uh, a favourite uh, for the end. Uh, so Georgina uh, Lawton asks, what changes can you see in the publishing world right now and are you excited or, or and or anxious about them? What changes can I see? Um, well, I've got an imprint. That's a massive change. You know, we haven't, I'm, you know, no one else has got, an imprint that's focused on diversity and um you know we only have one black editor in the entire industry so now we're going to have two so that's kind of awesome that's a big change i think yeah the diversity thing because is 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 a thing it's very real and um it's very heartbreaking that you know to not be part of the conversation um so I feel like that side of that side of the industry and watching people come up and watching really brilliant people that had to really struggle to not struggle. I'm really excited about that. Um, I think that independent publishers are doing amazing work. I think translations are big. I think just bolder publishing and books of all different size and all different types. You know, a few years ago, it was like really big tomes and now it's slimmer. It's like, it's interesting. And we're going to have to evolve with with the next generation, and that to me that's always exciting, like evolution. Um, Candice Carty Williams, uh, what books in the last six months have you have really gripped you, uh, and what do you want to be reading in the next six months? Um, given that you are now in the position of, of creating and crafting that world, yeah, sure. Um, so, so I read five books a week, so it's quite hard to kind of. Uh, I loved the end is where we start. The end is where we start from Megan Hunter. That was sublime. Um, Louisa's book, um, Louisa Salmer's book, Flesh, Bone, and Water. Um, there's just been a lot of like 
kind of like these sport I would say was speculative fiction this has been a lot of that just something a bit different I loved um a renaissance um book um um speak gigantula um yeah some really yeah short short stories are something that I'm really into at the moment so those kind of slim or short collections uh, and then my my personal favorite question um, from Eva at Eva Kinder, um, as a BAME writer at the submission at submission stage of my first uh, novel, what is the best way to ensure my novel gets on your desk? <laughs> well, I mean, just send it to me. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, contact details. <laughs> I mean, I I think. I know all the emails by heart, so I haven't had my email yet, but like, yeah, Charmaine. This is very Char- dangerous. Yeah. Charmaine, I mean, you can work them out. I mean, that's what we spent all our yeah. time doing. They can work them out, but Charmaine will have a little brown address. <laughs> you know my name. I mean, I'm, I'm super open. I'm super open to, um, to unsolicited, unsolicited um, submissions. I'm really open to it and I'm really exci- I'm really excited about it and because that's why so, so you're going to take stuff not through agents you're going to take uh, yeah I don't think that most of my work's going to come through agents okay. I'm I've got like a whole different way of working I've got a whole different way of working um, which is really interesting and I'm just going to test it out um, I will be buying stuff from agents obviously but it won't be it's not like my primary focus because because it's not like they've just been sitting there because then I'm like wow have they really just been sitting there and everyone's been saying no to them because then we have a really big problem do you know what I mean like if it was like they had to wait for a black publisher to start in order to have these books like that's 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 when I'd have to actually consider whether or not I even wanted to work in an industry that would even do that. So as far as giving the industry the benefit of the doubt, those books haven't been coming through in the way that they should have been. So therefore, my job is to go and find those writers. So yes, unsolicited. Um, but so my big advice is please have your friends read it first and please get a proofreader because it ha- it has to, you know, for me to, to for me to re- even if I can see it, like I, it still has to be, it has to be good. But I think especially what's going to be interesting is that I think people from those communities will know that they have to be better because in life they have to be. Like that's what's really interesting. They already have to be better. It's just that I've got to now spread a message of like what what the actual tools are. So you have to be proofread. You have to try and get an editor, just someone to to comb through it and make sure that you know it is the punctuation grammar spelling um so that when i share it with my team then i can be like look see the quality and the story is there and we don't have to do so you know a crazy you're not rewriting it so yeah just tell her to to send it um is it her told great Charmaine. thanks for being such a star and for such thanks. a fascinating talk um if we give a round of applause for And now a brief update from our lives. I have this week been incredibly excited because The Secret Lives of Colour has been Radio 4's book of the week, which has been fantastic. And it's also meant that it has climbed up the Amazon charts, possibly because I've just been sat there all day refreshing the page. But never mind, very pleasing anyway. Uh, All joking aside, that's a a huge plaudit for Cassia to have have the book in that um, very prestigious slot and very well done to her. (laughs) 
Um, she's also supervising the construction of her shed, which is uh, approaching approaching completion. Um, <laughs> on my side, uh, I've been working on a draft of the final section of my book and also uh, a draft of a piece I'm writing for Outside Magazine in the States. So that's it from our respective uh, occupations. Sheds. Yep. And we look forward to having you with us next time. Like all writers, we love feedback, so do please find us on social media. On Facebook, you can just search for us at Always Take Notes. On Twitter, we're at Take Notes Always. And we're also on Instagram. And if you've enjoyed the show, we'd love if you could leave a review on iTunes. That really helps. Thank you. Bye.